a wind breathes among us, calling us to gather in the name of the Holy One. A fire burns within us, calling us to service, calling us to prayer. A spirit moves around us, calling us to turn and meet the sorrows of the world with compassion. Holy God, maker of all things, burn in us. Breathing in us, bring us your peace. Amen. Let us pray. Holy One who guides every step we take, be my guide. For each load that I might bear, be my strength. For each mountain that I might face, be my power. For each river that I might impede, be be my my safety. For each place where I might rest, be my peace. For each sunrise and sunset, be my joy. Holy One of the journey, be all of this and more. Amen. Congregation, be seated. The reading today comes from Genesis, the 21st chapter. Sarah and Abraham's child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the, of the boy and your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed, wandering about the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes, then she went and sat down opposite of him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. And she said, Do not let me look upon the death of the child. And she, as she sat opposite of him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God, uh, the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy of where he is. Come. Lift the boy up and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw the well of water. She went with the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. Here ends the reading. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Bismillah rahman rahim in the name of God, the all-merciful, the all-compassionate. This is Islamic phrase that Muslims say when they start anything, especially prayers. So especially significant to start with this 
in the chapel. So thank you for letting me do that. I'm completely humbled to be here today to give a homily. I stand you before you as a servant of God. I'm a Muslim, but I feel so much affinity with my Christian brothers and sisters that giving a talk here seems natural. Probably last year it didn't, but this year seems natural. My very presence here shows the theme of the room at the table in action. Earlier this year, I gave my first sermon ever in a Muslim setting at the Women's Mosque of America in Los Angeles. Never in my life would I thought I would give a sermon in a Muslim setting because women are not usually permitted to do so. And then today, I'm at the pulpit in a Lutheran chapel service. So yeah, two things I never thought would happen this year have already happened. I feel absolutely blessed to be in an environment like Cal Lutheran um, where we really advocate and we put into practice an inclusive policy that makes everyone here really feel like there is room at the table for us. Giving the, the sermon today is especially meaningful because today is the Muslim holiday of Eid al-Adha. Um, it's somewhat equivalent, you can say, to Easter for Christians. Um, and yesterday, Muslims fasted um, around the world the day of Arafat. If you saw the news, um, people were completing their hajj outside of Mecca. And people there were not fasting, but all Muslims around the world were fasting for this special day. Yesterday also, our Jewish brothers and sisters were fasting for Yom Kippur. So it was an especially blessed day in that Muslims and Jews around the world were all fasting for similar reasons. So for Eid, um, let me tell you a little about it because many of you might not have heard it. Muslims around the world attend prayers early in the morning. I didn't get up that early. My husband left the house at 6.30 in the morning um, to go to prayer at Dos Vientos Community Center. And um, we listened to a sermon given by a man, always a man. I don't know if there's ever been a sermon given by a woman. But then I'm here giving a sermon on Eid, so that's really serendipitous today. It's very strange. Um, yesterday, for the day of Arafat, Muslims were focusing on reflection, repentance, and renewing the covenant. Um, and our Jewish brothers and sisters were doing the same thing for Yom Kippur. Very similar themes that go on between these two holidays. So for Muslims on Eid, we feast together, we have fun together, we wear new clothes, and um, we commemorate the end of Hajj, which you can see in the news. Um, the pilgrims have completed their pilgrimage, and it's celebration time. If you eat meat, you would sacrifice an animal. I like to donate money instead, because I'm vegetarian. Um, but celebrating Eid, by celebrating Eid today, and talking to you, I wanted to um, talk about a story that's really special, connected to the story of Eid, and connected to the biblical passage we just talked about. So Jeffrey read from the passage about Hagar, and Sarah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and, and um, Ishmael. Some of you might have heard this story, also known as the binding of Isaac. Well, this is not the binding of Isaac, but the story about Isaac and his family. But I wanted to present it in a different light in a light that's not often discussed in the Jewish and Christian tradition, and especially in the Muslim tradition as well, we often overlook the women in the tradition. Often they're nameless um, or they're forgotten. So I want to focus on the story of Hagar instead of Abraham. So in the Torah, her name is Hagar. I'm gonna call her Hajar, which is the Arabic, so her name is Hajar. Um, in the Torah, she's 
referred to as the Egyptian handmaiden that Sarah gave um, to Abraham when Sarah could not bear any children. She's portrayed as, Sarah is portrayed as being jealous of Hagar, or Hajar, and her son Ishmael. Um, and so she asked Abraham to cast out um, Hajar and her son Ishmael to the desert. Abraham doesn't want to part with his son and his wife, but God tells him to make this sacrifice in obedience of God. In the Muslim story, um, Hagar, Hajar is not the handmaid of Abraham. She's actually the wife. Um, so it's a very different approach to, to the story. Despite the fact that he doesn't want to cast his wife and child out to the desert, it's not a very nice thing to do, he does it because God says you must do this, as it says in the Bible. So according to both the biblical and Islamic sources, he takes Hajar and her son, he takes a little bit of bread, some dates, a little bit of water, leaves her in the middle of nowhere. Right? Can you imagine that? Being left in the middle of nowhere in the desert with almost nothing, no supplies. This story is mentioned slightly in the Quran, but I, I found most of my sources in a tradition called the Hadith, which are traditions going back to the Prophet Muhammad, things that he said and reported. So Abraham's first sacrifice before the binding of Isaac was actually having to leave his wife and son in the desert. So we don't often think about this as the first sacrifice, which came chronologically before the binding of Isaac. His second one was the binding of Isaac, or the binding of his son. There's dispute about who the son was. Um, these acts of sacrifice are well known, often discussed by Jews and Christians. But it's the sacrifice of Hajar I wanted to focus on today. That I find really special. And I reread all the texts and I was really touched by what I found. I had not read the biblical passage in some time, and every time I read it, I'm like, wow, this woman is, maybe it's radical to say, but a prophetess. She received a divine revelation from God through the angel Gabriel. This is how the prophet also, Muhammad also received his revelation. No one talks about that. So, as you know, probably Isaac became the forefather of the Jewish people and later the Christian people, since Jesus was from the Jewish people. And Ishmael was also destined for great things. As it says in the Bible, Ishmael was also promised to, be, um, to have a nation made of him. Um, it says in the Torah, as for the son of the slave woman, I will na make a nation of him also because he is your offspring. So in that way, Isaac and Ishmael are complete equals. Both, um, both were responsible for different lineages, you can say. So enough about those people. They're very nice. And, but let's talk about the woman, Hajar. Um, so Abraham made many sacrifices, and he was, had full obedience to God. But what about Hajar? She actually has a very similar story of sacrificing herself and completely relying on God. She had nothing, but she knew that God would provide for her. So when Abraham left Hajar all alone in the desert, which now, according to Muslims, is modern-day Mecca, where pilgrims make part of their pilgrimage to, it was a completely dry, barren land, no plants, no water, nothing. When Abraham was walking away from Hajar, he, um, she followed him. She says, why, is he, why are you leaving me here? Why? And he ignored her. She couldn't ask him. He ignored her. And then finally she asked him, is this something that God asked you to do? And when he replied yes, she surrendered herself and said, God will provide for me. God will not neglect me. So she had faith that she would be provided for. On his way back, 
The only passage in the Quran that refers to this event is a prayer that Abraham, Ibrahim, makes in the Quran. And this is the prayer he made as found in the Quran. My Lord, make this a peaceful land and protect me and my children from worshiping idols. Our Lord, I have settled some of my offspring in a valley of no vegetation. By your sacred house, our Lord, so that they may perform their prayers. So make the hearts of some people inclined towards them and provide them with fruits, that they may be thankful. So here we have Abraham praying that Hagar, Hajar, and Ishmael find people who can help them, that they find sustenance in a barren land, that they find a community in this barren land. And we can see this wish was fulfilled, this prayer was fulfilled. So imagine Hajar, alone, abandoned. She ran out of water, food very quickly. Need a lot of water to survive in the desert, desert. And her little infant son, Ishmael, was still suckling. She couldn't provide for him and couldn't, didn't have any milk left when she ran out of water. So she was absolutely desperate. She ran from these two hills called Safa and Marwa back and forth, back and forth. She tried to go to the top if she could survey the area to see if there's any people who could help her, any signs of life, any signs of water. Nothing. Back and forth, up and down these hills. Finally, the seventh time of going back and forth between these two hills, she heard a voice. It turned out to be the angel Gabriel, which I mentioned before is the same angel that came down to the Prophet Muhammad, the same angel that went to the, um, the Virgin Mary, and many of us are familiar with angel Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel. Um, Gabriel came, he comforted her, and he dug out a spring in the middle of the ground to drink from. She heard his voice, the voice from God. So here we can see she received a direct message, a direct revelation from God, which is very significant. Only a few women in the Bible and in the Quran have received this through the proxy of the angel. Once Hagar found the spring and she had enough water that was plentiful, she settled in Mecca. And then other people came, Arab tribes came. They asked if they could settle too because water is very scarce. When you find water, you find civilization in the deserts. So eventually they settled the city of then called Becca, which became Mecca. And from there, Ishmael grew up, as the Bible says, and he continued the lineage of Abraham through Ishmael. So we can see that God heard Abraham's prayer, and he saw Hajar's strength and her determination and gave her relief. What I didn't mention is that while she was going between these two hills, she left her son in, on the ground completely abandoned him because how else could she run up and down the hills? So imagine that she left her son in the middle of the desert to look, for the, to look for something, to look for a sign of life. What's really significant about this story is not only that she received a divine revelation from God, is that Hajar was a single mother. She was abandoned by her husband, alone in the desert, trying to fend for her infant son. She completely trusted in God that even though she left him on the ground where there's scorpions and snakes and hot sun shining down on him, she knew that he would be okay. God didn't choose a queen. He didn't choose a woman who had privilege. Um, instead, he chose a woman. She was poor, dark-skinned, Egyptian, um, and she was the one who was chosen to receive his divine message, and it was because of her complete submission and sacrifice to God. I would say her sacrifice is, that, is equivalent to that of Abraham, if not even more. So when Muslims go to Mecca, 
which is the pilgrimage that just ended yesterday, we walk in Hajj's footsteps. I was there in 2011 on Hajj with four million other Muslim pilgrims. And sometimes we follow the footsteps of Muhammad, sometimes we follow the footsteps of Abraham, but a lot of the pilgrimage inside the mosque in Mecca is actually reenacting the footsteps and the plight of Hajar to find water for his son. So we're actually following in her steps and her complete surrender to find water. It was very powerful for me when I was there walking in the steps of this ancient Egyptian woman, thinking about it. Despite the fact that women don't always receive the place we deserve in our tradition, we really have a strong tradition of women um, who are very strong and powerful. So this shows the important role that women play in scriptural narratives in both of our tradition, in all of our traditions, even if we don't always talk about them. They're really there. Our traditions really focus on uplifting the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, not the privileged and the rulers. We're commanded by our scriptures to take care of these people, the vulnerable. So our traditions uplift the legacy of women who heard God's voice and it values their sacrifice and faith. So we can say that God made room at the table for a vulnerable woman like Hajar. So coming back to 2015, the story of Hajar when I was reading it really made me think of the plight of Syrian refugees and people inside Syria and Iraq and other places. As you've probably read in the news, you have Syrian mothers and fathers taking their babies and their children on rubber dinghies from Turkey to Greece. These rubber dinghies are not very safe. A lot of people, have, unfortunately, even today, some people were reported to have drowned. It's incredibly unsafe to go on a smuggled rubber dinghy this distance. Um, but they're risking everything because there's nothing in Syria left for them. There's nothing. The country's been devastated. All there is is violence and um, certain death, perhaps. So there's a poet that recently wrote this beautiful poem. She wrote that nobody puts their kids on a boat unless the water is safer than the land. Imagine what would bring you to the point where you'd put your children on a rubber dinghy to get to safety. You have to be desperate, just like Hajar was absolutely desperate to find water for herself and her son to survive. So because the theme is room at the table, I encourage you to think of how we can make more room at the table, not just for people in our own community, which is all we're doing a good job of, but for people from outside of our community, especially for people like the Syrians, Iraqis, many inside this country, and many around the world. Um, how can we help them? I pray that we're willing to acknowledge and embrace our differences and also connect through our similarities. I pray that we can find ways to support our brothers and sisters around the world who struggled to keep their families alive and to find safety and security. I pray that as a community, we can mobilize to include the marginalized, the oppressed, and vulnerable at our table as God commands us in our sacred scriptures. May we all, may we all sacrifice our egos to pursue the higher path to the divine. Thank you, assalamu alaikum. Let us pray. God of majesty and wonder, stepping out with you is an adventure, is stepping out into the unknown places, walking unmarked paths, facing uncertain dangers, meeting strangers. So we ask, use these hands to carry the burden. Use this voice 
to carry your world. Use these feet to walk in your footsteps and use this heart to transform the world. Amen. Go with God, guiding where you go, leading where you tread, providing rest when you lie down, water to quench your thirst, so that upon arriving, you will be refreshed. You are invited to be seated. 